We're here to continue our study of John's first epistle in chapters 4, verses 7 through 21. So if you have a Bible and want to slowly get it open to chapter 4, verse 7, that would be great. Um, Last week, Ben looked at the very beginning of chapter 4, so we've been just kind of working our way through in chunks. And last week... um, I think we really started to see kind of repetition that that starts coming up in 1 John. He's got a couple points he wants to make, and he makes them uh, and looks at them from a couple different facets. So again, last week we saw again instruction towards one of the main drives that John has in his letter, and that's to help the church confront the very real threat of false teachers. In order to do this, we saw that we as believers should test all teachers by their doctrine of Christ and scripture. And so today we want to join another familiar theme of loving one another. And actually it's the theme from two weeks ago that we took a break last week and talked about in Paul in John's progression, uh, testing teachers. But we want to get back again to the theme we saw in chapter three, verses 11 to 24 of loving your neighbor. Um, and again, it does seem that John flows back and forth um, looking at these two thoughts from these different angles, um, and that's super helpful to us. Um, and then in those two weeks, we, two weeks ago, we saw that God's command to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and to love one another are inseparable commands. And those who keep those commandments can have confidence in their abiding in, their remaining in God. So protection from false teachers, and really comes kind of down to assurance, uh, were very important messages to John for these churches that he's addressing. So today, I don't think I realized when I was assigned this, these verses of this chapter, that this is, this is really a profound section, and and I loved how the commentaries helped me out, and they actually admitted straight up front that the structure and progression of these verses is difficult to understand. <laughs> when you break it into chunks, which is what we're going to kind of do, uh, you, we'll, we'll find that it's a little easier. So, so we're going to talk about some very profound things. I, if, I hoped this is interactive as it always is. I don't expect I'm going to have all the answers if you have questions. Um, but let's certainly interact and, and we can always come back if we need to and address something uh, either one-on-one or, or uh, at, another, at another lesson. So today we're in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. And again, I guess back on that previous statement about this is kind of a, a weighty section, um, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably be a little more heads down at times because I want to make sure I say correctly the things I want to say so that I don't provide any potential misinterpretation, Except, especially after last week where Ben told us to, to test the teachers. <laughs> I'm going to do my best to be very careful, but please test me. Um, so 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 21, I'm going to read this, um, and then we'll do a mix. I'll ask at times you guys to read some things, but let me go ahead and just read it for us. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected within us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not, not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he cannot see, whom he has, whom he cannot see, sorry, get a little tongue-tied. He is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So take that and try to come up with a sentence. <laughs> well, I did, um, and it's on your handout. It's the last one there underlined. And I think the main theme of today is when we are born again in Christ, when we are new birthed in the Spirit, we share his nature of love because he abides in us, which ought to manifest itself in love for one another. Now, sometimes um, books or movies have two titles. They have that really long title, like the sentence I just gave you, and then they have the much shorter one. So if I had to say it shorter, I would simply say, this is not on your handout, but I'd simply say, someone born again loves because God first loved them. Maybe that would have been better. I don't know. Um, so if I really wanted to take this, I would have probably split it up into like 10 different points but we don't have that kind of time. So I split it up into three different points. Two that have shorter verses attached to them. Those are gonna be our main points. And then the lump it all together and get done section that uh, will be our last point. So we have three points, God's nature as love, the first two verses, verses seven and eight. God's manifest manifestation of love, first John four, nine to 10, and then the call to love which is the rest of the chapter, verses 11 to 21. So let's dive in. God's nature as loved. Love. So verses 7 and 8 say, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. I was going to say, I love that, 
but then that, that was gonna actually then confuse myself because we could get into this whole discussion of what is love um, because you know as as some pastors have preached various sermons that you know we we love our hamburgers and we love our dogs and we love our spouses and our kids and it's we use the same word for everything but um, but anyway Paul uh, John I always want to say Paul John starts again with beloved and and I think that's important here because it again is reminding us of his affection for this church and that what he has to say is important for them to listen to and thus should be important for us to listen to um, he wanted to pick up again on this important theme of loving one another so if I were to ask you from these two verses it's not a trick question. Nothing, nothing I'm going to ask is a trick question. What reason do we have? What reason is provided as to why we should love one another? Because God loves us. Because God loves us. Exactly. So we get two reasons, actually. Verses 7 and verses 8. Verses, verse 7 says... We should love one another for love is from God. And verse 8 says, God is love. So we'll come back and talk about that in a minute. But I do want to take a bit of an aside and ask, how has the world used or misused this phrase, God is love? I feel like it has at times. What was that? Yeah, that God is love. How, how might the world have taken that and used it for its own advantage? They divorced God as judge as well from it. A lot of people, they'll, like the woman caught in adultery, is like, oh, you know, I forgive you. It's like, I love anybody else's going to sin no more. Right. So I think they divorced from living a life uh, devoted to God. Just, sure. I can do what I want. God loves me. He's got my back. He's my little mascot. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's super dangerous, and I think we've seen that. A any other thoughts? I mean, that was my main, yeah. main one as well. But so yeah, I think in in our current culture, like love is approval, so it's even hard to dis disagree with someone and feel loved. Like whether that's political disagreements, obviously, like sexual revolution wise, like if we disapprove of someone's lifestyle or their actions the the world says you don't love that person if you love them you would just give a rubber stamp yeah. and approve of everything they do so there's this disconnect between <coughs> loving someone and not necessarily approving of everything they do but it's a, it's sort of, it's a sort of shallow love it's just sort of like whatever you do is fine I have no standards I have no morals I have no judgment yeah you know yeah, I think it's good. For those in the back, he said love is approval. Or if we don't approve of someone, we're not loving them. So. Yeah, I've heard some of my unbelieving friends say, like, well, if God supposedly loves everyone, it sounds like he loves conditionally. Yeah, yeah. God loves everyone. So, Or as we were, a family was talking this week, one of my daughters mentioned that, well, love, God wants to make, make me happy. So love is happiness, in essence. Um, so there, there's, I mean, there's, there's certainly pastors who have fallen into this. One, one of the most prominent in the last, I'm dating myself now, decade, I'll say, is uh, Rob Bell, whose pastor started the Mars Hill Church in Michigan. 
uh, he wrote a book um, called um, Love Wins in 2011. Um, and it was pretty controversial in the evangelical world, and rightly so, for really this, this kind of universalism or Christian inc um, inclusivism. Um, because God is love, he would say everyone in the end will be saved by Jesus regardless of what they have done and believed. I mean, we, there is this inclination in us to want to, to, to hear that and go, yeah, we want to believe that. Um, it is possible to be justified through Jesus Christ without very explicit or complete knowledge of who he is. Because love wins. Right? God is love. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the protection from all of, all of those misinterpretations or false teachings that we might even want to believe is the very word of God itself and understanding love from a biblical standpoint. Um, so back to the question of what reason do we have as to why we should love one another. Um, he says in verses 7 and 8, as we've already addressed, that we should because love is from God and God is love. And, and these answers can seem like two different answers. They can seem maybe at odds with each other, but they're really not. And, and you got to love John Piper. Um, he said, when John says that love is from God, he doesn't mean it's from him in the way letters are from a mailman. Right? The letter doesn't have anything to do with the nature of the mailman. He means that love is from God in the way... Wish I could deliver it the way he did. Love is from God the way heat is from fire or the way light is from the sun. There's, so there's no conflict. You expect light from the sun. You expect heat from fire. And you expect love from love. Right? Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into what he is. And it's a part of what it means to be God. So I was, I just thought it was interesting. So if I were to, so love is from God. And God is love. Right? So therefore... Love is from love is from love. That's where they get love is love from. Love is love. Love is from love. Now <laughs> um, I was I was just think it's beautiful how the the early writers can craft such language to help us understand these things. So love is from love. So for all who have been truly born by God, many things happen to us. But this aspect of his divine nature becomes part of who we are. It should become part of who we are. And that's very profound. So beloved 
When we are born again and we have received love from love, God abides in us, and his aim is that that love is perfected in us. And we're going to talk more about love being perfected in us in just a bit. Um, And so if all this is true, we should love one another. So that's our first point. God's nature as love. Is there, I don't know if you had time to look into like, because I know there are different words for love. Yeah. And is there a specific word that's being used here? I did not get into that. I wanted to, but I purposely did not. So I apologize. Okay. Um, So you can. Love here is a Yeah. Okay. And do you you know like what specifically, I'm not super familiar with Greek, but. You know, I know there's like friendship type love, romantic type love, like other just sort of like a God. There's three main words for love, yeah. Sacrificial. Yeah. We'll have to come back to that one. It's like unconditionally sacrificial. Yeah. Which I guess is a transition (laughs) to our second point. God's manifestation of love in verses 9 and 10. So John... Next, goes on to explain more specifically what he means by love is from God and, lo- and God is love. So how did God express this love that he is? Verse 9 starts with, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So again, no trick questions. How did God express his love? I mean, of all the ways that that we think people are loving, how did God express his very nature as love? He gave us his only son. That's exactly right. God sent his son. Um, So a very public affair was carried out right amongst us. And he also says it was his one and only son. And I think sometimes words between, like the big words in these sections, we can just pass them by. But we we don't, because it helps us understand the love of God, we we don't want to ignore them. So this idea of one and only son, this is one part of the Greek I did go look at. so this, this is as you'd expect it, but I think we trivialize it sometimes. The expression adds weight and it adds poignancy to the story by highlighting the one and only nature of the loss, right? So in Luke seven twelve, when Jesus raises the widow's son, he says, as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man had died and was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Again, it adds weight. This, she was, he was the only son. There was no one else. Luke 8.42, Jesus healing Jairus' daughter. For he, had only a, for, he only had, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. An only daughter. 
And then like Hebrews 11:17, by faith Abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son. So we see the weight to this expression of God's nature, God's love, that he would send his one and only son. And not just that he sent his son, like that almost seems like it would be enough. Like God expressed his love by sending his one and only son. But that doesn't stop there. What does it say next? So he sent his one and only son. What was that? So that we might live for him. That we might live through him. And one more thing jumping ahead that this love did. If we were to jump a little bit ahead into the very end of verse 10, we would see that God sent his, one and, his son, his one and only son, that we might live through him. Not just that, but that he would be a propitiation for our sins. Right? So I think we've talked about this before, but I think it's a good, good point to talk about. And that, anybody have a good definition of propitiation? What was that? There's that word. Wrath atoning sacrifice. Wrath atoning Sacrifice. That was very succinct. I like it. When I was a new believer, some, someone explained propitiation as the, uh, the heat tiles on the space shuttle at re-entry, right? Absorbing all of that atmospheric pressure and heat. Um, n- none of those examples are perfect, but, but it, it kind of gave a, a picture in my mind at least. So the expression of God's love is in his one and only son and what he did. In us, there was no love. We only had hatred, right? Only had hatred of God and his goodness. The enmity was on our side towards God. The needful propitiation for our sins was all of love on God's part. So justice demanded propitiation and love supplied it. Justice demanded propitiation and love supplied it. So he's emphasizing that the nature and origin of love isn't tied up with our response to God. Our response is not where love starts. Love is and love starts with God. So I want to stress this a little bit more. God is love, and how was it shown? So I, can I get three volunteers who will read some verses I'm going to give out? Just throw your hand up. Dave in the back. Andrew? Okay. Uh, if we could start, uh, let's all turn to 1 John 3.16. So just, just a couple pages back if you're in 1 John. So 1 John 3.16. Dave, go ahead. Yeah. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So by this we know love. Kyle, could you read the same verse? 
By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And let's read it one more time. Who is, who is next? Andrew? Yes. Uh, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So again, one thing this highlights is the common themes in First John. But again, God is love. And as 1 John 3.16 says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so as we get through those first two points and we would move on, um, we're kind of right back where we started today with we should love one another. It's the response of born-again belief in Christ and taking on that nature of love within us. It should be what we do. But I'll pause before we uh, go on to the last section to see if there's just any questions or comments, any other interactions people have had in evangelical ways. Yeah, I threw out a bunch of kind of random application points at the end, hoping that statements like Dave's would let me just throw them in in the middle. Uh, and that's a perfect one because cause we're, we're going to get later to verse 19, but just for our evangelism, right? So I think so many non-believers would, would counter the gospel with, well, but, I, but God could never love me based on what I've done. Well, exactly. He doesn't love us based on what we've done, right? And the motive that the motive that this should just continually work up in us to, to let people know that this, this is an act of God. It starts with Him. They need no good works. They need no good disposition. They can come. We, we all come just as we are. Or Yeah. Yep. When the gospel finds us when it found every one of us it, it didn't find any of us loving God right it, it found us at enmity with God so excellent point thanks Dave 
I didn't give him that up front. So. <laughs> Any other thoughts? Shannon? Uh, I was just thinking, I think somebody mentioned the, the phrase that we often hear in the world today that love is love. And I just, you know, even as we're talking through this, it helps me to sort of process that phrase that we so often hear in that, if, you know, we, we hear love is love, but if love is not consistent with God's nature, then it's not love. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to our last section, which is the large finish up section, which is the call to love, and that's the final verses 11 through 21. So I'm going to read them again. And this is the call to love, love perfected. Beloved, again, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. We're right back where we start. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So you can see again how John kind of, he starts and he works his way in and he works his way out and he ends the same way we started again, that the commandment that we should love our brothers and sisters. We should love one another. So everything we've heard to this point helps in the larger purpose, right? Helps in, in that larger purpose of the book of John, one of them, to reassure readers that we're in Christ and to guard against false teaching. But one thing I want to, play out a little bit is in verse 11 he says beloved if God so loved us we also ought to love one another so how do we understand the word ought there I think there's potentially a subtle and dangerous misdirection we could take right and he as you think about that, and I know I've had the week to think about it, but what subtle misdirection could we take with that word ought? I think of, I think of parenting. It's like something you should strive to do, but there's situations where you're justified to withhold it. Okay. Okay. I don't know so much optional, but the converse would be that it's just what you're supposed to do. 
right? That there's no motive to it. A duty. We're going to imitate. Imitation is good when it comes to God. But God, our imitation of God is a reflection of our nature, our abiding, right? He in us and us in Him. So we could go down the path of saying we're to imitate God. That, that wouldn't be really bad to say. God loved us. We look at what he did and we do it with others. We're obligated to, right? We ought to do it. So you get a, maybe you get a, or your, your high school graduate gets a lot of gifts for their graduation and, and son, you ought to write a thank you note. Right? You're, you're, you're kind of obligated to write a thank you note. Right? I always think when I go into work, I have so many double entrances to get into work. And then when that person opens the door for me first, I'm obligated. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait and I'm going to open the second door for them. Right? It's just, I ought to do that. It's, it's, what, we, it's what we ought to do. But again, John Piper puts it in more poetically than I could, says John, the author, means ought in the way fish ought to swim in water, or birds ought to fly in the air, or peaches ought to be sweet, or lemons ought to be sour. So born again, new birthed people ought to love. It's who they are. It's in their nature. He's not interested in an obligation to love one another for its own sake, but because it's a sign that God lives, God abides in us. So I thought that was an important, uh, important distinction to make. So if you look at verses 13 to 16, and someone already brought this up as well about the Spirit. By this we know we abide in Him because He has given us His Spirit. I think very simply this section is saying that the Spirit teaches believers about the love of God shown by the sending of His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. And that because John's audience believed it, they may again be assured that they abide in God and God in them. And then we get to verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. We return to this theme of God is love. And that loving one another is the mark. It's a mark of those who truly know God. So verse 17, I do want to toy out a little bit too. Um, by this is love perfected with us. So this is actually the second of four kind of references in the epistle of 1 John to love being perfected. The first was in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. That said, the love of God is perfected in us when we obey his word, when we obey his commandments. He said, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way, be obedient to the way in which he, Jesus, walked. 
in chapter 4, verse 12, one of our earlier verses for today, we see that the love of God is perfected in us when we love one another. So love is perfected in us when we're obedient to God's word. Love is perfected in us when we love one another. And then starting in verses 17 and 18, we see that the love of God is perfected in us when we realize the presence of God abiding in us. And what does it say that that, that produces in verse 17? Confidence in the day of judgment. Exactly. And then he goes on to explain that a little bit. And then the fourth perfection of love is in verse 18. The love of God is perfected us when we don't fear. Because perfect love is fear casting. Go ahead, question. Do you think this is contrasting the two motivations people might have with coming to salvation in Christ, like fear of hell versus the love of God I think that's a true statement of, of what the, the path of being perfected in God's love can look like. Um, I'm not sure if this will answer your question, but one of the things that I had saved for potential application was um, this idea of the progression of love. And I think you kind of bring that out with, with little children, right? So when we're at, when we're at a new birth, an infant, whether we're young or older, I think our love, our expression, our understanding of love, what we're thankful for, the kind of love we get from God is, is, is more of a sense of favors received, mercies received. You came and you took away my sins, thank you. So we love because of those very important but very kind of first fruit things that a, a child child may but I think as we spend more time in God's word and abide in him I wouldn't say ever that um, the way we love God is a different kind of love than that salvation love but I feel like you get to a you, you transition more to a I'm not just loving God because of the favors that I've received, the mercies that I've received. I'm loving him for his very nature as I've gotten to know him and experience him and suffer with and for him and see his beauty. I'm starting to love God for who God is. And I want to be with him for who he is. I don't don't know if that's helpful at all. And the spirit works in us. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's not everybody's path. Some people are given a, a, a distinct maturity very early, uh, and some, some work to it a little slower. But um, I do think there is a progression in the perfection of love that we typically see in people. So, thank you. What do you think he means uh, at the end of verse 17, you know, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment? Because as he is so also are we in this world. Yeah, the tongue-tied verse. It seems just kind of, I, I don't understand exactly what he means by that. Yeah. Um, so by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence. So we're talking about confidence on the day of judgment. 
I think, and what most commentaries that I've read say, is that this is a reference to us being children of God. And the fact that we are heirs of God in Christ. And, and so in that way, we are today in this world, right, as he is. So as we see him expressed in scripture, the resurrected Christ, I mean, that's, we're with him already in that, in this sinful world. And so to remember that helps with confidence for that day of judgment. That's kind of like we're justified, like we, in that sense. Yeah, it's, it's, we don't see perfectly who we are in Christ's eyes and who we're being sanctified into. But we are more than we see with these sinful hearts and minds. And, and that, yeah, that, there, was, there was some some weighty talk in some of the commentaries about that very section, but the most simplest and easiest answer I could ascertain was, was that, that it's just a reference to we are as he is. Could be misinterpreted lots of ways too. So love is perfected by obeying God's word. Love is perfected when we love one another. Love is perfected when we realize and constantly abide in, in God, realize that he's in us, produces this confidence. And then in verse 18, love is fear casting, right? A love for God based on a sense of his love for us and this growing knowledge of his love for us that just removes fear. And all that then ties into verse 21. And he wraps it up and says, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So this is a commandment that echoes back to John 13, 34 and 35, where Jesus says, This is a new commandment I give to you, to love one another. Um, he also is uh, John 15, 12 and 15, 17. Let me go there quickly. So John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment, this is Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So it's very important, and one of the central commands is for us to love one another. 1 Peter 4.8 says, above all, above all, keep loving one another. 1 Peter 1.27 says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So we can see that this idea of loving one another is not just concentrated in the book of 1 John. It is all over and one of the main commandments that Jesus gives us.
Yep. Yep. Yeah, often it's brothers, it's brothers and sisters, it's, it's believers, it's the church. Um, and so there's some, some good application as we think through that as well. So can anybody think as we close up and do some application? Anybody think of anywhere else in Scripture, the New Testament, that gives us a, a practical definition of love? Like the go, what's, what's the go-to, what's the go-to book for a definition, a practical definition of love? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 13. The way of love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So, I think that's a, a, beautiful, a beautiful way to transition. Um, and and it'd be a great individual study to go and look at each one of those phrases and how God exemplifies every one of them in his very nature. Um, so one of the application points we've already talked about, and that was, again, to evan- our evangelism. For anybody that would say, I'm unlovable, right? I think we need to remind them that, no. Verse 19 uh, is pivotal for us. We love because he first loved us. And how do we, how do we get non-believers who are uh, mournful of their sin to understand that? We talked about what is a general sense of a progression of this perfection of love in us. Um, and then I want to use, uh, in a couple minutes we have remaining very quickly, just some examples of uh, maybe how do we love one another from the book of First John itself, and, and this will be going back to chapter 3. So if you want to turn with me back to First John chapter 3, verses 11 to 14. And again, this one's already been discussed. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers, brothers and sisters. Whoever does not love abides in death. So we talked about this during that section, but why why does he bring up Cain and Abel? How is that maybe instructive to us as we think about our relationships with other church members? What was it that 
What was the issue there? Is it that that there was murder? Cain was envious. Cain was envious. Yeah. I think it ultimately comes down to that. So I don't I don't think we're too concerned about believers murdering one another, but for how we should love one another, we certainly should look at our our envy, our pride, our desire for what other people have. Um, and, th- and this is uh, in the Sunday evening messages that we've been going through the covenant, the church covenant with one another. You know, when we rejoice with those who rejoice, when we weep with those who weep, but when we rejoice with those who rejoice, this is a way we love one another. Um, and I think it needs to be commended to us. Someone else gets a job that we've been longing for. Someone else, you name it. Gets married. Gets married, has children. Very tough, difficult things. Um, we love them by protecting ourselves from envy. We're happy for them, right? So I think that's an important thing to, to delineate as we think about loving one another. And then simply meeting the needs of others. First um, John 3:16 through18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So I think the other practical way that we love one another is by meeting one another's needs. I think one of the dangers is that we, we, look, we look to meet the needs of people we like more. We look to meet the needs of people who need something that I can easily give. But the, the language in 1 John is that we lay down our lives for one another. And that's going to be hard. That's going to come at a cost, right? We should take it very seriously. So if anybody has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart, how does God's love abide in him? Yeah. I think it's neat, too, though, that it comes at great cost, but there is great joy that's on the other side of it. Yeah, there is. Mm-hmm. Now, I think we can also, I don't want to say over love, but we can get out of balance at what we think helping other people are, right? We have families, and we have to, to love and meet the needs of our families as well. Um, but we should consider how we love one another and what the world sees when they see and witness that love of one believer for another and how that images Christ. So those were just, just some ideas to close on uh, considering how we love one another. My hope and my prayer was that we could really kind of focus in on the nature of God. God is love. Love is from God. God is love. Somewhat redeem this love is from love. Love is love idea that the world kind of takes hostage sometimes. Um, center it all on the expression of God's love again, which is Christ, his one and only Son, who he sent that we might have life and that he would be the propitiation for our sins. Um, and with John and, and with the audience he had at the time, 
we need that to help us filter the teaching we get that would tell us anything but that, right? And then that reassures us of who we are when we, when we see these outworkings of the love of God in us. We should stand firm in our faith and say, no, I'm a believer. I'll walk this way. So, Any other final thoughts? Just a really practical, we were talking about the first, Corin- first yeah. Corinthians passage. Yeah, 13. Um, the artist, The Corner Room, they're like a band. They have that chapter like put to music, right. and then they do the whole chapter, and then they do it instrumentally. So if you want to meditate on that passage, it's a really good group. The Corner Room? The Corner Room, yeah. They like sing through that passage. It's really helpful if you're trying to tease out what it means to love. Thank you. All right. Well, today, I don't, I don't know that always the church, I think they do well to think about what we're t- learning in the morning and then learning in the afternoon, but today is going to be a lot about love. Um, so as we leave First John, we'll go into the book of Ephesians and continue the study there, and, and we're going to learn about husbands loving our wives as Christ loved the church. We're going to sing about love today. Here is love. The church has one foundation. And then as we get towards the sermon, we're going to express to Jesus, my Jesus, I love thee. And all throughout this, we're going to come behold the wondrous mystery. The mystery that we can be sure of as we abide in Christ. Because we know he abides in us. So let's pray. Lord, uh, we're, we're at a loss for words to understand at times, to express our thanks to you, to manifest in us our nature as children of God. What manner of love you have given us that we should be called your children. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, Lord, we are more than conquerors through him, through you, through Christ who loved us. We cling to these truths, Lord. We help uh, pray that you will help us to understand them, that you will help us to take those to the lost, to our neighbors that we can be sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, from your love that drives out fear and gives us confidence on the day of judgment and perfects us. I pray you'll be with Jason as he preaches this morning. Help us to have open hearts and open ears. In Christ's name, amen.